Hey everybody, welcome to another Book More Show. It's Stuart here with Betsy Vaughan again. Betsy, how are you doing? I'm great, Stuart. It's good to be here. Fantastic. Uh, so today is either going to be the start of something new or turn into a disaster because this is the first outside broadcast of the show. So I'm hoping that uh, the environmental issues at this end hold out long enough for us to get through this show a bit. But uh, if we start getting some fire trucks going past or it suddenly starts storming, then we might have to uh, finish just a little early. Fantastic. Good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully we'll be good. (laughs) So, today we're going to follow up on a conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about how to leverage either other people's knowledge or expertise or audience, basically just broader ways of writing a book and engaging your audience rather than just... I've got some knowledge in my head that I want to share. Let's get it out on the page and, and get it in front of people. So does that sound like a good idea? Sounds like a plan to me. Let's get started. Perfect. So first couple of examples that came up, I mentioned on the show, I think the week before last, I was uh, recording at uh, a friend's house looking out over there, nicely manicured lawn. So I was using a couple of examples of leveraging a lawn care business, the knowledge from a lawn care business, if you were a swimming pool manufacturer, for example. Another couple of examples that we've got of existing 90-minute books are Orlando Montiel had a realtor book recently published that was interviewing a number of other experts. And then I'd mentioned again, I think, on that uh, that same show a couple of weeks ago, Chris Hill, who'd in, who owns a... Uh, luxury form and tourism company and they do a lot of retreats uh, like sales retreats for sales teams but rather than just go to Vegas as an example they organize some ethical volunteering ethical travel volunteerism type events where people will have a luxury component to it where they're staying in nice places but they run their events around uh, building a school or installing some IT infrastructure that type of thing and Chris's book then interviewed one of the managing directors of a company that they've worked with quite a few times just to talk about their experience so I think the key thing to both of those is starting from this position of what is it that's the most valuable to your audience? And I think, as we were saying just offline, that when you identify what's the most pressing questions, what what is it the what is the conversation that they're having already in their minds, the the thoughts that they might be wanting to answer as they move towards um, move towards your product or service, the answers to those questions don't necessarily need to come from you yourself. I think we were saying that uh, you get quite a few times when you're talking to people in the early stages or perhaps before they're on board, people talk about, well, I just need a little bit more time to dial in what I'm what I'm thinking about or what I want to write about. Um, those types of questions seem to come up quite often. Right. Definitely. We hear that a lot. They need a little coaching or need to broad, they have a broad idea but need to narrow it down. I think sometimes it's uh, it's a bit of a mix between just a confidence thing of yeah you know what we could talk about this for yeah we could talk about this for weeks and weeks or you could just do it and get it out there and then refine it afterwards. Um, but I think as well as so often the times because again this mental model of people thinking about books as writing their own content of putting their own expertise out there 
I think it's a great opportunity for people to broaden that horizon slightly, broaden that mindset slightly, and start thinking in terms of there are questions that the customers want answering, and who is the best person to answer those? What is the best answer? As long as it's, as we said before, if it, as long as it's complementary, non-competing, although to a certain degree, I guess you could have a a um, a one thread could be just to look at competing stuff. So it's always interesting coming from the the UK. You don't get as much direct. Uh, competitive advertising as you do over here in the US. So if, for example, it was a laundry detergent, you would have this laundry detergent is better than the three leading competitors. You wouldn't necessarily name them. Mm -hmm. Whereas over here, you tend to see a lot more of product A is better than product B and actually calling out product B as being inferior. Is that my imagination? Does that happen a lot? It does happen a lot, yeah. And as you're saying it, I can actually picture some of those laundry detergents you know, product A and then product B, C, and D are horrible. And, and you know, my pants aren't going to be as white if I use those other products. So, right. yeah, it definitely I'm thinking of that, that. We do it across the board, I mean, with a lot of things. And that, I was listening to another podcast a couple of years ago. It might have been the Freakonomics podcast, which is good listen if, if people haven't checked that out. Um, but they were saying that one of the reasons that happens or why there's, I think they were talking about it in terms of political campaigns and the, the kind of direct nature of the the um, political comments about an a opposition uh, opponent. So one of the reasons they were saying that it's actively encouraged in, in the US is to try and keep people honest and keep people um, having, I was just uh, joking to myself as I'm saying that, keeping people honest, maybe I shouldn't have used a political campaign as an example. But, uh, right, exactly, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> right, yeah, but keep them honest in the sense that if they know they do too much wrong, someone is going to directly call them out rather than the UK, it's a little bit more subtle uh, rather than as direct. But just uh, bringing that back into to books, having that as an idea, uh, having that as a specific strategy may well work. So you could do, for whatever your business or industry is, you could quite well write something that directly looks at competitors rather than kind of slightly more subtly or obscurely looks at one subject rather than another subject. So, I mean, I'd probably advise against being, well, like I say, you don't want to get yourself sued by being too, uh, <laughs> too litigious that's in there. And the other thing is as well, I mean, keep it classy, San Diego. You don't really want to write something that's just calling other people out for being terrible. But if there are legitimate differences, then again, dialing it back into this question of what's the most pressing questions that your potential audience, your potential customers are going to be asking. And if it is right and proper that you do a direct comparison with another product and service, even by name, then that is a perfectly valid thing to do. So bringing it all back together with a couple of examples that we talked about, we were talking about Chris and Orlando using the expertise of other people in order to answer some of the questions and uh, write a book that is valuable to their audience by using someone else's uh, expertise, their audience, their experience. So in the same way, calling out a competitor or writing something that does a like-for-like comparison with one technology versus another technology, then that's definitely just as valid a thing to do. And what we're really trying to get people to think about is rather than being concerned about 
as you were saying, the calls that you get in the first place, some people aren't quite ready to get started yet. Rather than that just being, I need all of this knowledge in my head to be able to get it out there, start from a position of, here's the question, the knowledge is out there, so what is it that that I can ask, you can ask, to give the most value to the readers and lead them, educate them, motivate them more on a journey towards making a buying decision with you a little bit further down the track. I think we were trying to think just before we started the call of some other examples of people who had kind of leveraged this knowledge out there rather than just using their own. And it was interesting that out of the 200 or so books that we've got uh, got completed now and another 50 or 60 in the pipeline, there's actually not that many people who make the most of this approach. I think in, yeah, I think in part that's because of this just mental model people are very much thinking about it needs to be my knowledge my um my name needs to be on the front of it i need to set myself up as the authority as the thought leader but then if you bridge that across into a different subject if you bridge it across into uh, blog posts or articles or information that people share in different ways particularly if you come down as far as kind of like social media and Facebook mm-hmm. posts and tweets then the majority of things um, or perhaps not the majority but a lot of things that people post and, and retweet is actually just sharing other people's stuff and a lot of the social platforms yeah. are built more on sharing Right, I was just thinking about that when you go through how, how often you're seeing something that someone who may be significant in, in let's say real estate in that industry quoting so many other people or sharing the information that they've put out that, that is it's becoming more and more common. It's it's almost like there's not a whole lot of original, you know, material on social media. You know, it it tends to come from other other sources, from other people. You know, um, so you know, I think in a, in the books that people are scared to bring it up for fear of well, I, this needs to be my focus needs to be about me and my business and building my business. You know, and yeah. sometimes maybe there's that fear that that if I mention someone else, it'll draw attention to them. You know. Um, so that my, I, and we have a client actually here at 90 Minute Books going through that right now, trying to decide does she bring in some outside information. Um, but she's, again, she said they could be potentially competitors of hers. So she's very hesitant to do it. She's still on up, up in the air, you know, as far as that goes. So um, I think it's interesting, isn't it? People get almost more proprietary about this type of thing. And I think if you stripped off the labels of label of a blog post, label of a book, label of a tweet, label of a video, I think if you stripped off the labels of what the thing is and focused just on what its job of work is, it's to share information, to educate and motivate an audience to have a particular thought process or a particular mindset, then it strips away this, should I do this or shouldn't I do that? You're just thinking about the outcome and does it achieve the outcome? And I think it's very easy. I mean, we do it ourselves all the time, but it's very easy to have the context influence the outcome rather than thinking about the context in, is it achieving what I'm trying to achieve and not necessarily limiting yourself because you think, okay, well, this is a book, therefore it should look like this, or this is a blog post, so it should look like this or have these elements to it. I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword, so you definitely need to have an awareness of the context of a book. The person reading it is reading it with a certain set of expectations in mind. So 
pages are typically laid out in a certain way that makes it easy to read. For example, you'd always write it from from front to back, from start to finish, never from the back of the book forwards. Um, yeah. Seems like an obvious thing to say, but that that context of how people use it or URLs. URLs are a great example because so often we get uh, someone will send us something saying, oh, "I need to include this link in the book so people can get more information," and then it's a god awful link with fifty six characters after the uh, after a forward slash at the end, and it's it's the type of thing that no one's ever going to type into um, the phone that they've got with them as they're reading the book. Because people forget about the context. It's, it's, um, they think, okay, there needs to be a link in there, then therefore this should be the link. So context, I think, is a bit of a double-edged sword. If you forget about it too much, then you can run into problems because it kind of, it breaks down. It's, it's not the most useful. But equally, we can become the, the victim of context and think about, oh, well, we wouldn't do that because that wouldn't appear in a book or we wouldn't write it that way because other people don't. So it's very easy to kind of fall foul of it on, on both sides. But I think this opportunity to think about, again, going back to what's the job of work that we're trying to do? We're trying to engage people and educate and motivate mm-hmm. them towards taking this outcome. What is the best information that you can provide to someone? And whether it's your information or whether it's someone else's information, again, within the confines of, um, or within the kind of scope of, don't just rip someone else off and plagiarize them and don't uh, don't credit them. But there's definitely something to be said for being the curator of valuable information and kind of referring to other people whilst giving them full credit because it adds to the conversation. You're still being seen as a thought leader because you're bringing this information together rather than having to worry too much about okay, well, this piece absolutely isn't mine and this piece absolutely isn't mine. There's, as long as you're adding value and I think answering answering the question that the title promises to answer and uh, potentially providing people with a way of getting more information, then I think that's still adding value, still providing something useful. And then the context, the wrapper of it being in a book just kind of amplifies that. It it builds on that message. It adds a little bit more credibility, authority. Yeah. Yeah, all of those things that the book in its and its kind of in its context adds that uh, the same information in a different context might not add. So I think that uh, we veered off a little bit there, but um I think that example, that first example then of using other people's authority, uh, using other people's knowledge, this complementary non-competing businesses being able to do something for organizations where they've just not got the opportunity to do it themselves. At the end of the day, if you're listening to this, you're part of a relatively small subset of business owners who are thinking about writing a book in the first place. And you're thinking about writing it in the most effective way possible, most efficient way possible, in order to quickly get it out there in a way that's fast and cost effective. So being able to do that for someone else. So again, the example I was using the other day of if you're a swim pool, an outdoor pool manufacturer, and there's another company that you're aware of who aren't even thinking about doing this, who are uh, lawn care landscaping chances are someone that's thinking about installing a pool outside is going to need some landscaping doing at the same time and they might have questions based on that so answering a question that services or resolves all of those issues 
by using someone else's knowledge is going to be not only good for your clients but also good for their clients. There's almost certainly going to be a crossover in terms of potential customers and you're just adding value all the way down the chain by kind of being the, the facilitator, the organiser of useful information in a way that other people just can't bring together because they're not listening to this, they're not thinking about it, they're seeing a book as a big publishing deal that they would never get and needs months and months of work to, to get into place. Exactly. One of the very early ones that we did um, was a yacht broken one. So we did some work with a yacht insurance agent um, talking about, because in the super yacht industry, there's all sorts of reasons why people tend to stay with incumbent um, insurance providers and everything to look around. The information that they need, um, the requirements they've got have changed over time. So quite often people are stuck on bad deals just as they would be with house insurance. It's just obviously CPO to just add a few zeros to the end of it. So, so we wrote a book, um, with, um, with those guys talking about the yacht insurance secrets. That was perfectly in tune with the audience. We were trying to engage people who were looking at buying and selling yachts. Um, for them, it was something that they could never have done by themselves. It, it's just not something that they weren't thinking of. As we share that book, with uh, with our customers, it's potentially customers for them as well because it this particular book has I forget whether there was five or eight, but five or eight specific steps that um, that you can take or things that you need to check either when you're coming to insure for the first time or at the point of renewal or if there was a significant change with the vessel. Um, all of these tips that could really make for quite substantial financial savings. Um, on the on the policy so we wrote that again we're not 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 yacht insurance guys it's not our business but it's very complementary to the audience that we were looking to engage so i think for every business out there you might have a an idea of your own book in mind but really being able to leverage uh, other people's knowledge in a way that's advantageous to them and to you and to the readers is really a, a win-win for everyone and almost creates kind of an endless supply of of knowledge and as we've said in the past dialing these books in being fast to get out there cost effective to get out there um, answering a lot of a lot of different questions these can all add up into like a, a little army of books out there looking to engage individual audiences in a way that moves the conversation forward and, and makes it more likely that they'll raise their hand and engage with you because you've already added value. Exactly, very good. I keep forgetting about that. I should use that book as an example more often. It was, um, it, I think it was probably the first one we did that uh, under this particular um, under this particular example. So I'll see if I can find a, a copy of it for the show notes as well. Um, show notes if people want to check out the the show notes we've got a transcript of all of the shows as well so just head over to 90minutebooks.com forward slash podcast and uh, all of the episodes are listed there and people can get into the transcript and any links to things that we mentioned will be across there as well okay so let's move on to the second subject so similar to the first we're really this episode we're really talking about leveraging other things in order to write a book and the reason we want to write a book is not to kind of blow smoke up our own uh, I don't know what the rest of that metaphor is not to blow smoke in our faces but to uh, to get it out there and collect more leads 
the way that we want to collect more leads is by engaging people who are likely to be potential customers by answering a question for them. As we've said before, the choices are you can either write a very broad kind of traditional, in air quotes, a traditional book, which might be comprehensive, cover a lot of topics, but the much more efficient way of doing it for our purposes, for the purposes of identifying an invisible audience and slowly over time educating and motivating them to make a buying decision with you is to pick a single subject and answer that single subject as deeply as possible. So be the world's best answer on a relatively narrow subject. Again, as a reminder, the reason we suggest people do that is because it's much easier to do for a start. It's easier to stay on focus. You're not likely to find yourself in a trap of six months later still finding yourself writing endless, uh, an endless loop of content as you're trying to get things finished off. There's much more chance that your book will answer the question promised in the title. So if the title is something relatively specific, it's much easier to answer that question comprehensively and really then add value to the reader and then provide them a way of finding out more information and and digging deeper rather than trying to write one book that covers it all. So single target, identify the single target market, answer the question or or write a book that answers the question on that subject that engages that single target market, single audience as comprehensively as possible, and then provide them with more information. So we've just talked about using the expertise of others to help the audience. There's also another uh, another way of writing, which because of the speed and efficiency of doing this process of writing a book quickly, you might be able to get some additional benefit where others would still be twiddling their thumbs and thinking about it. And that's to use kind of um, external factors, changes in external factors that will cause Mm -hmm. questions to be raised in your audience's mind to answer the question to help them raise their hand as interested to uncover invisible leads because of these things, these external things that have changed that you can leverage by being able to do it quickly. So that was a pretty long-winded way of, uh, of, of putting it, but some examples would be things like regulatory changes or technical changes or political changes or kind of time-based changes, things that happen that affect your industry or loosely affect your industry that you can write about, that you know your audience, your potential customers will have questions about. And therefore, you being first to market, getting in there quickly, being the first to provide some useful information means that you'll be able to uncover a lot more of those invisible leads than if you were to wait for six, 12 months down the track. And then by that point, a lot of the questions have been answered already. So you just lose that, uh, that opportunity of some external change, some uncertainty in the marketplace. Um, given reason for people to search. Right. Looking at current events in the world, sorry, um, looking at current events, you know, from that standpoint, if we're talking about it now, publishing that book in six months, eight months, 12 months, it's, it's, it's gone. You've lost your audience and, and your relevance really, you know, to potentially that, that subject matter. So if you're, if you're able, able to grab that right away and, and get that out in eight weeks or so, then um, that's, you know, Probably when. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of that timeliness. 
being the first one out there or one of the first ones out there means that whilst there's a lot of questions being asked, while there's a lot of uncertainty, then the audience kind of swells. So I always remember it's a uh, it's a silly example, but um, Dean was using it in one of the other podcasts a few weeks ago. So what was the name of that lion that got killed by the dentist, like Cecil or Cedric or... Um, yes, uh... Do you remember Cecil, that? Right? Cecil the Lion? Yeah, Cecil. So if you did, like, Google Trends has got, uh, um, if you go to Google Trends, you can do, like, a time-based search of, um, you can see, like, a graph of search over time for that particular phrase. So if you do the one for Cecil the Lion, obviously it's zero, 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 zero absolutely huge spike for about a week, and then pretty much down to not just a little bit above zero because obviously before that happened no one even knew about or cared about cecil the lion on the day that exactly. it, uh, yeah on the day that it spiked there was the everyone wanted to know about it and then afterwards a few more people were aware of it but it it wasn't really in the minds of most people so silly example i wouldn't necessarily suggest writing a book about that event unless you were a wildlife conservation <laughs> organization and then you might be able to exactly. leverage some of that traffic but there are other things like that which will be more relevant to your business. And a lot of that traffic might just be transient. It might be people who aren't genuinely interested. Um, but hidden within those people, within that swell of information, uh, swell of requests rather, there are going to be some people who are your target market and who are interested. And because it's timely, because there's an external driver, meaning that people are taking a decision now, we're doing something now, then being able to capitalize on that and be first to market, move quickly. Um, the process like we've talked about is cost effective compared with writing a, a traditional book. Um, then it would be, um, and not foolish, but there's definitely a missed opportunity if you're not able to peak at the same time that everyone else is peaking. So perhaps a more sensible or relevant example is um, things like regulatory changes. So in the financial world, we've got um, we've got a lot of financial books out there done by financial planners of varying types. But as regulation changes, that makes a big difference. So if Medicare regulations change, if IRA regulations change coming to the end of a tax year whatever the tax guidelines changing all of these things are very timely and there's a swell of people of your audience your potential audience a swell of people looking at that particular time now because the process that we're describing is is fast and cost effective then you could make a plan to write four books a year answering four particular questions knowing that over the course of the year four regulatory based things are going to change and then you can write the updates to it um we've got uh people can see a lot of the the covers that we've done for people at uh, at the gallery on 90 minute books and there's a couple in there for example the 2016 guide to california social security so if you were mm. in california and you were doing something about your social security um, needs or requirements in 2016, just from the title, that book is going to be very on target, very specific to the conversation that's going to be going on in your mind. Likewise, next year, the 2017 book, 
the 2016 book rather than 2017 isn't going to seem as relevant because it's it's out of date um but it doesn't take a, a genius to think about the changes that might be needed to update that for the next year and then anyone that's looking for that information in 2017 would then be immediately interested in it um there's a couple of uh time-based examples like um, the Olympics are just starting today so as we record mm-hmm. this it's the uh, it's the 5th of August the opening ceremony is this evening so if you were a uh, chiropractor or osteopath or sports medic- medicine person or physical therapist um, all of these things that are that will be relevant to the Olympics because there will be athletes there who are using your technique or your product or service or think about things in the same way. All of these things are going to be of the moment. People are going to be looking at it because they'll be they'll they'll see the athletes on TV using the service or talking about the um, the their fitness program or their restoration regime regime that they use. All of these things are going to be just make it more relevant at the moment that people are going to be looking for something rather than the rest of the year when a subset of the most motivated will be looking at it, but not as many as now. So that was the second thing I wanted to get people thinking about. We talked about leveraging other people's expertise to begin with in a way that everyone wins. And second of all, these these external factors that make a difference as well. An external factor that makes something more timely today than it would be in six months' time. And because the process that we're describing is quick and cost-effective, then you've got the opportunity to leverage that and make the most of it, where someone who's not thinking in this way might miss that opportunity because they're not uh, they're not open to the thought of creating a book that answers a very specific question, knowing that that question, there's going to be a peak in interest of that question because of one of these external factors. So, exactly. That's great. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think the Olympics was a great, good example, you know, just now that with, um, I was looking at a book in front of me about non-surgical knee pain solution, you know, just at that moment when you were speaking about that. And so um, it kind of made me think about how, how true that is, you know, that people are going to be talking about, you know, the injuries potentially and treatments and fitness. And, and so now is the time it should be, it should be out in, in the forefront versus. Absolutely. Because exactly as you say, there's a conversation that people are having out there and it's how can you tune yourself into that conversation at the right time in order to help reveal those potentially invisible prospects and, and help make them visible. I think, I don't know if you just heard the, uh, the bells ringing in a, in a clock tower here. So that's, uh, we started at half past and it's just gone, uh, just gone the hour. So we should, uh, should wrap up in a moment, but, um, that's the other way of thinking about it as well. I mean, we talked about how you can write something specific to a particular, um, external factor or or time-based factor how you can write something that's around that uh, that trigger but there's also the other the other option of how you advertise around that trigger as well and it's certainly the case that you might have a book already written that uh, has a relatively generic title to to capture the the wider audience so sticking with the social security guide one before it, it could just be the 20 the um California Social Security Guide. It wouldn't, you may not have written the 2016 guide, but you can also advertise in a specific way. So we'll have to cover that in a in a future show. Not yet. Um, 
it reminds me there was uh, there was a couple of other examples that that fall into that as well. But writing something as specific as possible is is great. But if you haven't done that, then advertising something as specific as possible is also a good way of leveraging something that you've already done. So the the yeah. knee pain guide that you were just talking about there, the non-surgical guide to knee pain relief. That's a relatively generic title from a timely point of view, but you can bet your life that someone's going to have some knee pain in the Olympics now. And depending on how famous or how much headlines that gathers, if, um, if I was just going to look to see who wrote that, but my screen's just locked up. Uh, Brian, okay. Oh, Brian. Oh, Brian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. So we were talking about, um, that with Brian and with um, uh, Dr. Beckner, a colleague of his, using having mm-hmm. it written at one point, but then having it advertised in other ways, you can absolutely advertise based on a particular incident in the Olympics if it were to happen, or you could advertise to a particular group of people, or in a particular area, or based off a another topic that that happens externally. The advertising can be very specific as well. It's not just the book that has to be very specific. So, at the risk right. of, uh, idea. yeah, yeah, and I think it's definitely worth doing a show specific to that in the future, just to to remind people because it's it's very easy to get very um, the the process of, of writing and getting it out there is is a big job, and sometimes it's easy to then kind of take a breath and forget about the second stage, which is getting it in front of the right eyes at the right time, and tailoring an advertising campaign to be able to do that, whether it's AdWords or Facebook or printed media or putting the books in a on the on the shelf at reception, then it's um dialing that in as specific as possible is also the the great way of getting the most bang for your book because again you're being specific. Right. I think that's a great topic to yeah to cover. I think that that would be very beneficial to the listeners, you know, and our authors for sure. And we definitely get a good few questions about it. So, um, so yeah, that's going to yeah. be a good one. We'll definitely do that. Okay. Well, anything, can you think of anything that we haven't covered? Otherwise, I think now is a good time to wrap. No, I think, it's, I think we covered it. Perfect. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So if anyone's got any comments, the comments are on on the podcast episode. So head across to 90minutebooks.com forward slash podcast and comment there. We keep an eye on those comments. If you want to email us about this or any upcoming show, then just shoot us an email to podcast at 90minutebooks.com and we'll, we'll get back to you or if we can answer the question in the show, we'll do that in an upcoming show. Um, if you want to get started on your own 90 minute book, if some of these ideas have kind of sown a thought, as we mentioned, this really is the, the quickest and most straightforward way of getting something out there, collecting leads, then just head across to 90minutebooks.com and, uh, do you know, we got all the way through this uh, episode and nothing, I'm um, outside as we record now and nothing's happened, it was fine. But just in the last two minutes, uh, two squirrels just came running across and they were about to jump up on the table and that completely distracted me. <laughs> oh no. So sorry, uh, right, so let's close properly this time. If you're ready to get started on your own 90 minute book, uh, as we said, it's the quickest, easiest way to get it out there, collecting leads, then head across to 90minutebooks.com forward slash start and, uh, and 
that's that's the, the start page to get started there. Check out the gallery if you want to see some of the other titles at nightminutebooks.com forward slash gallery, the menu options at the top, or just shoot us a message to hello at 90 Minute Books, and if you've got any questions, we'll be uh, happy to answer them. So uh, before these squirrels attack me or uh, try to grab my nuts, then uh, I'm going to go. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Stuart. Okay. Thanks, Betsy. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time.